Well, good morning. My name is Derek, one of the pastors here, and I'm excited to share God's word with you this morning. Uh, you know, scripture a lot of times uses uh, metaphors from life to help compare to spiritual life, and one of those often are athletic metaphors, which is kind of fun because lately we've been watching a lot of track. Um, our girls are running track, and some others in here are running track. And uh, one of the things, if, if you've ever watched, right, or if you've ever played sports, uh, that you really want to do is win, right? I mean, in any event, you're going out to do your best and to win. You want to win the prize, right, the glory of getting first place, or uh, back in the day when they were running, you know, they'd get a, a crown of, of wreaths or something like that, um, or now it's, it's medals. Well, a couple weeks ago, Elise, or uh, not Elise, Kayla and Lydia were running the, the 200, and it was Kayla's last event, and she's up in the stands, and somebody walked by with this big icy, right, you know, and it was a warm day, and it's all covered with syrup. She's like, that looks delicious. Can I have one of those? I said, if, if you get a PR in the 200, right, so a personal record, if you get a PR, then yes, you can, I'll get you one of those. So she goes out, and she's running, and I'm leaning over the fence right when she runs by, getting near the end. I said, remember the icy, as she runs by, and she got a burst of speed and got a PR. <laughs> um, now, she did get a PR. I'm not sure it was because of the icy. Uh, and then I went to get her one, and the truck was gone, and so she didn't get an icy. But... <laughs> I got her something else. It was, it was fine. But one of the things about these, these track meets is you're not always going to win. You know, sometimes those going out and shot put and, you're, you know, the person next to you is seven foot tall and about four feet wide and you're just not going to win, right? Or in sprint, some of these people tall enough that, you know, going over the hurdles, it's not even a, a jump. Uh, sometimes you can't compete. And so one of the great things that, that we encourage them is get a personal best, you know, competing against yourself. Well, scripture, again, often refers to track and, and running metaphors. And today we're going to look at a passage that really encourages us, uh, us using these words to strain toward the goal to win the prize. Do your best. Try and win the prize. So how are we approaching our lives with Jesus? There's a tension in the Christian life, and here's the tension. I'm saved by faith alone, no works at all. Jesus did it all for me. Now I work hard for him because that's right. And there's a tension there, right, between just being with God and doing for God. And we're going to wrestle with that tension our entire lives, and that's okay. Um, but today, the, the main point is work hard, right, to, to really put it out there for Christ. So grab your Bible and turn to Philippians chapter 3. Which if you don't have a Bible with you, there's one in the, the cage in front of you, in the seat in front of you. Grab that. It's page 1085. If you don't own a Bible, this is our gift to you. You can take that. But we, as we look at this, I want you to think, how much effort do you put into the Christian life? Right? Are, are you one of those that maybe on this track team, you're working hard, you're, you're straining, you're practicing? Or are you maybe one of those that join the track team because it's you know, fun people to hang out with and you don't really want to do any sports. Um, there are those, right? And, and they'll just, you know, sit in the seat. They're wearing the jersey, you know, but they got a fan on themselves. And, you know, if they go out to do an event, it's just, they're just there, right? We can view the Christian life that way or we can give it our all. So let's look at uh, Philippians. Now, we haven't been in Philippians for a while. We took a little break. Um, but just to, to kind of catch you up, the book of Philippians is written from the Apostle Paul. He's in prison. This church is one of his favorite churches. It looks like, I, I mean, they're pretty solid. They have one thing. There's a little bit of disunity possibly in the church. But in general, they're a great church. 
And this letter is a thank you letter for a gift that they had given him, right? So he is a missionary uh, traveling around, planting churches, sharing the gospel. He's in prison. They sent him a financial gift, and he's sending back a thank you letter. And so this, this book really is a lot about missions. He says, thank you. You're supporting me. God is using me and, and the situation to share the gospel, but you should be sharing the gospel too. And if we're going to share the gospel, then our lives need to match up. So he moves into chapter two, talking about that, you know, let Christ be our example of humility, right? If you're going to claim to be a Christian, live like Christ as much as possible. Um, and then he moves into chapter three, which we've already looked at some where he emphasizes, yes, we work hard, but we're saved by faith alone. So chapter 3 begins with this warning against these Judaizers, these people that are coming into the church saying, yes, you can be a Christian, but you also have to be Jewish. You also have to go do all these good things to help earn your salvation. And he says, no, that's not the case. And so now he's going to move the second half of chapter 3, but the context begins in chapter 3. So we need to read verses 9 and 10 so that we understand what we're going to read in the rest of the chapter. He says this in Philippians 3, 9. It says, and be found in him, that is in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes through the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection of the dead. So there's the context. Now let's look at 3.12. To 4 1. Paul says, Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this word uh, I do ask that you would help us understand what, what you intended it to mean when it was written and understand how that applies to us. We thank you that, that you have made so much so clear in Scripture. We love you. In your name, amen. All right, so we are not going to take this passage verse by verse. We're going to take it kind of ideas. We're going to see there's an instruction. There's a reason for that instruction. There's a warning of some hurdles. Hurdles? Track? See how we did that? Uh, a warning of some hurdles. And then there's the reward, right? Um, the, what is to come. So the hurdles and then some strategies to overcome those hurdles. So what is the instruction? Pretty simple. Put great effort into knowing God and living a useful and godly life. 
There's the instruction. I mean, that kind of sums up what we're saying today. Put great effort into knowing God. You see verse 13 and 14, uh, right? One thing I'm forgetting lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So the goal, again, put great effort into what? We go back to verse 10 again real quick. Because in verse 10, he shares his goal. And I'm going to share that from the Christian Standard Version. I like the way they wrote it. But it says in 310, My goal is to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death. So right there, he, he's stating, here's my goal. Now what we're looking at, he says, I haven't attained my goal yet, but that's what I'm aiming at. So it's really helpful to know, all right, what, you know, we're going to press on toward what? What's the goal? That's the goal, verse 10. And there's a lot there, and, and I wish he said it a little bit clearer. But here's what that verse means, right? To know the power of his resurrection. When we are saved, we die to self. We're given the Holy Spirit, and we're given the power of Jesus' resurrection. That means we're given the power to walk in victory over sin, right? In Galatians, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. We have the ability to walk in godliness, power over sin. That's what he's talking about there. But then he also, the, so the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Right? He said, I want to be like Christ in his own sacrifice. Jesus gave his life for the kingdom. He gave his life for us. So here, this is the active part. Paul is saying, I want my life to be useful, like Christ's life was useful. He's in prison right now. He said, I, I want to go through the sufferings for God's kingdom. And so really, we kind of sum this up, that the goal is to know God more, experience his power over sin, and glorify God by giving our lives to his kingdom mission, right? That sounds like a mouthful, but, but that's the goal. That's what we're aiming at. Does this sound passive? I, I mean, Paul's words, I strain forward. This is not a passive Christian life. Again, we're saved by faith alone. This is not work hard for salvation. This is after salvation or justification. Then... It says we work out, in, in chapter 2, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's what it's talking about, after salvation. Or in Ephesians 2.10, it says we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works that God prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. So that's what he's talking about. So during this, we're going to look at several other versions. Um, I like looking at different versions of the Bible to see how they, they phrase something. If you're not familiar, uh, the Bible, the New Testament was originally written in Greek. But, you know, in English, we have the English Standard Version, the New American Standard, the, the NIV, all these different translations, which are all a way to take what was written and help us understand it. Some do kind of a word by word, but yet Greek, the way they spoke it, isn't the way we speak English, so the words would be in different orders. Some translations, instead of going word by word, take an idea and say, how would we express this same idea and be true to it? That would be like the NIV or the New Living. So... With that, it's kind of helpful, but it's all God's word. So here's the Derek version, so the new Derek version um, coming out soon. I would phrase the big idea here, leave it on the field. Leave it on the field, right? We have this life now. Jesus is coming or we're going to, our life is going to end and we move to the next phase of existence. But here, leave it on the field, right? When you're running track, run all out, leave it on the field. You, you can't take it with you, right? If you leave any energy in your body, you might not win. Leave it on the field. One of the advice that you would hear given to, to runners, right, when you're running the 100 or the 200 is 
Don't stop at the line. Look past the line, right? Run three yards past so you keep your speed going. That's the same idea for us, right? Leave it on the field. Put great effort. So there's the instruction. Put great effort into this Christian life. Now here's the reason. Why? Well, let's look at verse 12. He says, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Because. So here's the reason. Putting great effort into a useful and godly life is the only right response to our secure salvation and eternity will be amazing. <laughs> There's kind of two. And so, so the first one is the verse that we already read. This is talking about our identity, right? This is who we are. He says he has made me his own. If you are saved, right? If you believe Jesus died on the cross, rose from the dead, you've given your life to him, you are adopted. You are saved right then. You are brought into his family. You're given a new name. In fact, scripture talks about a new name that you don't even know yet, right? But Jesus has it, and it's written on a stone, and later when you go to heaven, he's going to reveal the name that he's given. It's super cool. You are adopted. It's who you are. You are a child of the king. And so it only makes sense to do what that would be, right? Right? We act like what we are. Again, you join a track team, you, you do an event. Somebody wearing the track uniform and just, you know, lounging in a chair and doing nothing. I, I mean, they're like, I just want to be on the team, but I don't want to do, that doesn't make any sense. Kind of like the Christian going, I don't really want to serve. I don't, I don't want to really get to know God anymore, right? I, I don't care about the, the mission of the kingdom. That doesn't line up to who we are in Christ. Look at verse 16 with me. In verse 16, he says, only let us hold true to what we have attained. I love that. Have attained, past tense, what have we attained? We've attained Christ. We've attained salvation. It's done. You don't have to earn it. So let's hold true to what we already have, right? Hold true. It's like, like you're on a boat, you know, you're sailing along. Where are we going? That way. Well, how do I know? Well, pick, you know, pick something on the horizon. If you've ever been on Tahoe on a boat, you know, you, it's a big lake. Pick Castle Rock, you know, or, or, or Cave Rock, right? We're going back. Pick that and stay true. Just head that direction. That's what he's saying here. You've already attained salvation, so put your eyes heavenward and go that way. That's his instruction. As we abide in Christ, the natural result is Jesus' life revealed in and through us. That's what we see here. This is our identity. Again, we talk a lot about abiding, right? It starts with us depending on Jesus Christ every minute of every day. That's an abiding relationship, right? And the natural result is we want to lay our lives down for him. The second part of the why is the ultimate prize. Eternity will be amazing. Look at uh, chapter 3, verse 11. He says that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. And then again, verse 21, who, speaking of Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. The ultimate prize for the believer will be a new, resurrected, physical, eternal body which will exist forever with Jesus and others on a new earth. If that's new to you, dwell on that a little bit. We already sang the song, I'll Fly Away. Great song. We should sing that song. But if we think I'll fly away and, and that's eternal existence, we get it wrong. When we die here, our spirit does go to be with God now. So, so that song is accurate. I will fly away. But that's not our ultimate destination if you weren't aware. 
that will be temporary until Christ returns. When Christ returns, those who are spiritually with him will be reunited with their physical body and risen from the dead. Those of us who happen to be on earth when he returns don't die. You know, and whenever I think that, I just hope like that, that would be so awesome if you just did it. And all of us, you know, we get new bodies here, but that's what's going to happen. A new body for eternity, physical, right? We, we're not going to be in the clouds. We're not going to be angels, right? We're not going to have harp. Well, we might have harps, but not everybody. But it's going to be physical. It says we will be resurrected like Jesus' body. So what do we know about Jesus' body? It was consistent with his old body. Right in the tomb, when they went into the tomb, his body was not there. He bodily rose. Now, how will God do that to somebody who's cremated? God will do it, right? I mean, God can do anything. We can trust him with that. But it's consistent. Jesus' scars were still there, right? So I, I think the sufferings we go through for him in this life, if we bear scars, we might carry those scars into eternity, right? How cool is that? Jesus ate. Jesus touched I mean, all this gives us a really cool idea of eternity. For me, growing up, a lot of, I thought heaven was going to be an eternal church service, spiritually in the clouds. I'm like, I'm not sure I want to go there, right? We'd sing the song, heaven is a wonderful place. I'm like, it doesn't sound like much fun. When you get a biblical idea, it, it's going to be amazing, right? I know everybody makes fun of me, I, but I think dinosaurs might be there. And if so, I'm going to ride a T-Rex. I have to say that every time because I'm going to if we can but it's going to be cool, and it's going to be physical. All right. I got to throw this in. There's also other rewards that Scripture talks about. Um, so this, this eternal body is secure. If you're justified in Christ, you have that secure. It's already attained. But there will be other rewards for how you live your life now. It is possible, although I don't think this is very likely. I, I don't think this is con- It is possible for somebody to be saved and not do much for the kingdom, but then get into heaven. That is the exception to the rule. Most will be saved, and then God will work through them, as we've seen, to to do good works. Again, none of us perfectly, but listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians 3. He says, For no one can lay a foundation other than the one already laid, which is Christ Jesus. Meaning, there is no salvation in any other name except for Jesus. That's it. Salvation in Jesus. If anyone builds on this foundation... And these are good works or bad works. These are the things you do. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, his workmanship will be evident because the day will bring it to light. It will be revealed with fire. And the fire will prove the quality of each man's work. If what he has built survives, he will receive a reward. If it is burned up, He will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as through the flames. That passage is really clarifying, right? In the day, that's when Jesus returns. When Jesus returns, it's as if we are holding in our hands all the works we've done in life. And we're going to walk through a furnace, right? It's an astral fire. We walk through, and if if these things are just a waste of time, they don't have to be good or bad. Some are bad or some just a waste, burned up. And we might come through, and, and there's nothing, right? And our clothes are singed. I'm just happy to be here, but that's it. Or the life that Paul's describing here in Philippians, laid out for him, we walk through, and, and, and we have these, this handful, and Scripture talks about we will then cast that before Christ, right? You get all the glory for this. But there will be rewards. What are they? I don't know. 
Honestly, Scripture's not super clear about that, and I'm okay with that. I'm going to trust God with that, but there will be rewards. So we press on. Again, look at verse 14 again. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. We already saw what the prize was, right? But we push on to this upward call. So just a reminder, what is this upward call? We go back to verse 10. The goal is to know God more, experience his power over sin, and glorify God by giving our lives to his kingdom mission. That's the upward call. I want to know him. I want to do better getting over sin by depending on him. And I want to be used by him in his kingdom mission. That's it. We kind of wrap it up in those three things. So there it is. What are the hurdles? Right? Again, this is track metaphor. It's like we're running. There's, there's hurdles. Now, I've seen hurdles, and I've seen that people trip over them. Um, in fact, Lydia has a scar on her shoulder. You can ask her later, tripping over hurdles. Um, she hasn't figured out you're supposed to go over them. Um, but her, we're going to see a couple hurdles that can trip us up. Again, even as believers, he's speaking to believers. So this is a, if you're a believer, your eternity is secure. You're good. But even when we have our eyes on the price and we're running, there are hurdles that will get in our way that could trip us up. And so what are they? Here's hurdle one. Thinking you've arrived. Hurdle one, thinking you have arrived. This is really helpful. I love how Paul in verse 12, he had already shared before this, right? That if you could be saved by your works, Paul says, I could. <laughs> I, I've done pretty well, right? Uh, uh, Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, pretty perfect, all this stuff. He says, but we're saved by faith. And then here's my goal. I want to know God, right? Uh, I, I want to be used by God. That's his goal. I want you know, to give my life to his mission. But he says, I haven't attained it yet. What has he not attained? Well, he hasn't attained the resurrected body. That, that's one. But that's not what he's re referring to because clearly he hasn't attained the resurrected body. He hasn't attained perfection yet. He still struggles with sin. He still wrestles with, I, I want God to use me for his glory. So he's still in process. I love this, right? So he has not arrived. God is gracious with our shortcomings and encourages us to move forward. Have you ever met those people that they think they've arrived, right? I, I, you know, I, I'm sinless. I, I've gotten to that point. There is a branch of, of people who claim to know Christ who think they're sinless now. Well, Scripture's clear, you're not. And there's so much freedom in this because not only, right, you think you arrived, I think the greater temptation for us is to pretend we have, isn't it? We look around, we're like, oh, these people all look good, so I'm going to pretend too. This is the freedom to not pretend, right? Paul doesn't have to pretend. It's extremely helpful. Uh, verse 15, he says this. He says, let each of us who are mature think this way. Before, he uses the word perfect, and now the word mature, they're actually the same word. So if somebody thinks they're perfect, they're not. But the person who's perfect is the one who knows they're not. That's what he's saying here. So maturity in the Christian life is understanding I'm still in process. And being that's maturity. Not claiming you're good, but having the humility to admit you're not. And you're going against so much freedom in this. God is so gracious. We have the freedom to stop pretending. So now hurdle two is kind of an extension of the first one. Again, I love how Paul writes. It's so helpful. Look at verse 13, if I can find it. It says, brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. You see that? Forgetting what lies behind. 
This is still referring to race. If you're running a race, looking behind you slows you down. You're not supposed to look behind. Yesterday, uh, Kayla was running the 400. And I stood at the last turn, right? That's one lap around the track. So you're turning and go, and she came around the corner. I said, you better hurry up. Don't turn around, but she's catching you. And she's like, that totally scared me. And I ran, yeah, good. But I, but I yelled at her, you know, I was lying. She wasn't catching, but, but, but I said, don't turn around, right? Don't look back. That's what he's saying here. Don't look behind you because that's going to mess up your race. If it's a hurdle race and you look back, you might run smack into the next hurdle, right? Do not look behind you. Look forward. What does he mean here? Well, one for sure is forget about your past sin and failures, right? We can dwell on past sin. Oh, I, I still feel guilty for, for that back there, right? What does 1 John 1, 9 say? If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If you are dwelling on past sin, that's actually a form of pride and self-focus. Because Jesus says, I died for that. I covered it. If you ask for forgiveness, you repent, I forgive you. Move on, get over it. That's kind of what he's saying. Get over your past sin. Now, if you need to do something about it, do, right? If you need to to make up with somebody, uh, you need to give, you need to do something to make right what you did wrong, do it, yes. But forget about it, right? Don't let those things drag you down from what's behind. But in context, I think there's even a better application of what he means here. Don't look behind, meaning past successes also. And I've seen this drag people down. We look at what we've done well or we think we've done well in the past and we get stuck on that. Uh, you remember Napoleon Dynamite? Uncle Rico, right? He's like, back in 85, we were going to be state champs, you know, right? You know, it's, it's the glory days, focusing on the past, the things that I've done, right? And, and you see this all the time. Um, I think the idea of American retirement is kind of helpful. And again, I'm not against retirement at all. You know, I mean, if you're retired, you know, go on trips and those things. But don't let that idea move into your faith life. Don't let that idea move into church life. I, I, I've been part of church before where struggling to get Sunday school teachers. By the way, we don't have that struggle here, thank you. Um, but we can always use more. But some, some older folks who, hey, we would love you to spend time with kids. Like, oh, I did that. I did my time. Now it's my turn to just sit in the service. I used to serve. I don't have to serve anymore. Now it's my turn to just enjoy the service. Right? I mean, we have this idea over here, the church, cruise ship or battleship. Sometimes we get to this, this point where, like, I used to work hard. I used to be in the battleship. Now I get to enjoy the cruise ship. Paul, he's saying, no, you run hard all the way to the end. We don't retire from ministry. I can't wait till someday I could maybe retire, you know, financially independent and then give my lifetime even more to ministry. Right? How much more could you do for God when your time is yours and maybe some financial flexibility? I mean, super cool. But this doesn't just apply to retired age. I've met plenty of younger folks. Oh, yeah, I went on a mission trip as a teenager. Right? I did that short-term mission. Oh, I used to be in Awanas. I memorized scripture. Right? Past. No, what about future? Again, I believe, and this, I think this is what it's talking about, the best is yet to come. Right? He's saying, look forward. What does God have next for me? Right? Is there still sin in my life? Absolutely. All right. That's next. I, get over that. What's the next thing he has for me to serve in? Well, I don't know. Let's, what is that? But look forward. The best is yet to come. So if I didn't make it clear, hurdle two, focusing on the past, 
rather than focusing on what God has next for you. On what God has next for you. Because our hope and ambition is that the best is yet to come. The best is yet to come. You know, again, the, the track is really helpful, talking to all the kids out there running. Um, and, and, you know, and they look at the stat sheets. Where do I place in, in the state, whatever, all this? Um, and some go, well, my PR, my personal record, you know, which is what you're going, is this. But guess what? Next week at the state track, it doesn't matter what your PR is. It matters what you do in that event, right? right? It matters the next meet. And I think that's for us, again, not dwelling on the past, but what does God have next? And I want to do my best there. Now, real quick, kind of a, a side note here with, with the idea of track. There's a danger of comparison. Um, again, I think of, I think of this, this track and these kids going out, well, I'll never be as good as this, you know, seven-foot-tall guy with legs up to here. Like, I'll never be, so I'm going to give up. In the Christian life, a lot of times, I think we look around and go, oh, I'm not as good as them. Or I'm better than them, I, right? There's a danger of comparison. I think the idea of the, the PRs, the person, that's really helpful for me to understand the Christian life. God wants me to run my race, the best of my ability. We're all gifted differently, right? You don't have the same gifts as everybody else. You don't have the same opportunities. God has something unique for you. And so we don't look around and compare, oh, I, I wish I was like that. Right? But we do our best for him. So, kind of side note there. Don't look around. Look forward. All right. Two more hurdles. Look at verse 18. It says, For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. Helpful to understand, Paul is writing to believers, right? He's writing to Philippian, over and over, he says, I rejoice in you, you're my brothers. So he's not writing to these believers that have fallen away, these ex-believers. He's writing about them to encourage the believers. And so in this, he's giving them a warning. But who's he talking about? It, it appears... Pretty clearly, he's talking about those who have been in the church who are no longer or still are trying to be but are not aligned with the true gospel. Uh, one example is the Judaizers, those who say you can accept Christ, but you also have to become Jewish. Or some of those, again, they're in Philippi, a Roman city, again, very Roman, very pagan, going, oh, I'll have Christ, but I'm still going to live like the world around me. He says, no, right? These, watch out for these folks in the church and do not fall into the traps they have fallen into because what's the problem? He says, with tears, again, these are people he loved, people he cared about, with tears, their end is destruction. These are not believers. A believer's end is not destruction. Our end is glory. Not because we're worth it, because Jesus did it for us. But these folks are not believers. And so these are helpful hurdles. Again, this is not something for us to look around, right, and go, ooh, that person's not saved because of this. This is... He's given these two believers, watch out for yourself. Now, if these hurdles typify a person, that person might need to question if Jesus is Lord. But again, we've already seen you can be a believer and be tripped up by these things. So what are these? Hurdle three, a focus, an over-focus on fleshly appetites. Verse 19, right? Their God is their belly. And it's helpful to read all of that. You know, it says their minds are set on earthly things. 
Their God is their belly. This is idolatry. There's only one God. But we can, we can have other things that we worship as God. Their God is their belly. Yeah, food. Drink. This is materialism, hedonism, right? It could be houses, boats, guitars. I, I don't know, right? It could be anything, right, that we're seeking after. My God is this. I want to fulfill this desire, but it's earthly, not heavenly. This is an, a focus on physical and worldly fulfillment over godliness. This can be a struggle with us. We live in a very rich country, right? We're very wealthy. We can fulfill pretty much any desire we want. But are we focused heavenward? How about hurdle four? That's the second part. And this is where we're going to offend some of us. And that's okay. God's word does that. It says their God is their belly and they glory in their shame. What's he talking about there? This is rejecting, hurdle four, rejecting God's standard of morality. They glory in their shame. Again, they are headed for destruction. Uh, I like the way the New Living translates this one. It says they brag about shameful things, and they only think about things on earth. They brag about shameful things. Have you ever been around somebody who claims to be a believer, but they're bragging about sin in their life as if it's good, right? So this is... This is accepting a morality that is against God's morality revealed in Scripture, and not only accepting it, but even celebrating it and encouraging it. Is there any examples in our world today on this? Maybe. Absolutely. Uh, most commentators on this think he's probably talking about sexuality here because they were in Philippi. This was a Roman pagan culture, right? One where part of the way they worshiped these pagan gods was sexual immorality in these temples with and on and on and on. And so he's saying right here, they glory in their shame. I want to be a Christian. I want to look like it, but I'm still going to accept the world around me's view of morality. You know, scripture cannot be any clearer that sex is designed for one man and one woman in marriage. If you believe God's word to be true, you cannot debate that. That is clear in scripture. But yet, we have many denominations and churches around the world today trying to get away from that. Oh, but the culture says this, so let's change. God's word doesn't change, right? God's morality does not change. This is a very good application of this right now. If you're not familiar with some of the, the things going on in the world, the Anglican church, if you're familiar with the Anglican denomination, it is a Protestant denomination centered in England, um, but it's around the world. They have a huge debate raging right now over this idea, right? The Anglican denomination has said, we are going to start blessing same-sex marriages. Well, there's a whole, uh, more than half of that denomination says we can't. God's word is really clear on this. So how can we bless it? W glory in their, glory, bless, that's the, right? We are going to raise up something God says is shameful. Well, uh, mainly churches in the South, Southern Hemisphere, in the Anglican, they're splitting off. They're saying, no, we are standing on God's truth. We cannot be part of this anymore. Because rejecting God's morality is saying, I'm in charge. I'm going to be God. But it's not just limited to sexual sin, right? The glory and their shame. How many times have you maybe heard a believer, oh, I was so wasted last night, right? Oh, I'm so hungover. What a great party that was. Oh, come with us this weekend. We're going to get drunk. Ooh, glorying and drunken. Scripture's clear about that too. 
And we can go down the list, right? Oh, I'm making so much money doing this illegal thing or taking advantage of these people. You should do it too. The list can go on and on and on of sin that we, we can glory in. That's what he's saying. These people are glorying in their shame, meaning I'm, I'm God. I'm going my way. God, if your way disagrees with what I want, my way. And so that is the hurdle. Again, the danger is headed to destruction, right? The danger is, is leading us all the way away. The world, here's the point, the world is actively trying to get us to conform. We must stand on Christ alone and be committed to Scripture's definition of morality. All right, now real quick, we're going to wrap this up. Two strategies to get over these hurdles. He gives us two strategies. Here's the first one, verse 17. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Strategy one, look to and follow the example of mature believers. That's one of the, the strategies we have. This is why we need to be in community. Find examples. Find people that you look at and go, I want to live that way. Again, this is not conformity. This is not pretending. But this is looking at godly people. That's why we need to see each other making decisions. Right? Oh, I'm going through this thing. How did you go through this thing? We need to be in relationships. Now, the best example comes from Paul, this Paul, Paul Ingram, he told me a story this past week, which was great. Um, he rides road bikes, so super scary. Um, but he rides, and he, he got invited to ride with a, a team, a club um, around here. And the thing they did was a pace line, right? Okay. <laughs> and, and a pace line is where you ride in a straight line really close. Because if you draft behind the person in front of you, it saves 20 to 40% of your energy. Right? So you're drafting in line, saving all this energy going together. Now, Paul said he hadn't ever done this before, and so he was there. And, and you rotate. You're in the front, and then you rotate to the back, and you just kind of keep that up. Well, he was in the front, and he rotated to the back, but he didn't keep his speed up. And when he got to the behind, he couldn't keep up. And so he, dropped, he said, he, they dropped me like a rock, is what he said. So they're all going off, and he's like, hey, right? Stuck behind until the leader of the group noticed, dropped back, and, and you know, rode with them. They come over a hill, and Paul said he was kind of embarrassed. That's why I'm sharing the story. And, and, they, and they, got, they got over the hill, and there's the rest of the team waiting there. And Paul's, oh, you know, I'm so sorry. And they get up there. He's like, he said it was a teaching moment, though, the leader of the club. What do we do if somebody drops off or if you're dropping off? Well, what happens when you get back there is you yell, slow up, right? I can't do this alone. I will never catch the team alone. Slow up. And so the person in the back hears that and, yet, and sends it up the line. Slow up, slow up, slow up, right? And so they slow up, and that person falls back in. I think that's really cool. That's a really good picture. We're supposed to go together and follow, and sometimes we're in the front. And sometimes it's okay for us to move to the back, right, and stay in line. Uh, the other thing Paul was telling me this morning be before this um, is when you're in this pace line, the person in the front, they're responsible for everybody behind. So if there's, if there's something in the road, an obstruction, they have to point it out. So right, the, the front person, oh, right there, and that gets passed down the line. Everybody points at whatever it is because they can't see what's coming. That's kind of cool, right? That's the Christian life. We go together. We look at godly examples who point out, hey, don't go that way, right? Look out for this, and we pass that on. That's what he's talking about. Look at godly leaders. Strategy two, remember your identity as a child of God and a citizen of heaven. Verse 20, but our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Life can rage down here, but our eternity is secure. We are citizens of heaven. This strategy is the idea, 
right? Here's this temptation, this hurdle. That's not who I am. That's not who I am. I belong to Jesus Christ. That's who I am. I am secure in him. I am his child. I can avoid this. Now, I want to finish. Because this idea, you know, here is, is the best is yet to come. Let's not look back. Let's put, and let's strengthen the effort not to gain salvation, but to be useful and godly for his kingdom. And I want to finish with our greatest example. Turn back one page to chapter 2. Jesus is our motivation and our example. Philippians 2, verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee would bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Jesus came on a rescue mission and got dirty for us. He took it to the end. He gave his life. That's our example. He did that. Our eternity is secure. It only makes sense for us to leave it on the field for him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, uh, I thank you, first of all, that you've given this example. Uh, thank you that you left it on the field for us. You held nothing back. You were, you were poor. You were betrayed. You were beaten. You were killed. But then you were glorified. Jesus, we accept your sacrifice. We repent of our sin and we love you. And God, I beg of you, give us a vision that the best is yet to come. Uh, eternally, the best absolutely is yet to come. But what if, what if all of us took this to heart and said, yes, I accept my salvation. I'm not going to look behind. I'm going to look ahead. And the best is yet to come. God, what do you have next? God, I pray that you would stir our hearts. Show us what's next. Inspire us and let us see you do great things because you're worth it. Now, God, my, my final request is, is if anybody was listening to this or, or looking at this passage, and right now they're wrestling with, with guilt um, or shame or frustration, I pray that you would encourage them. God, that you would draw them to you and you'd give them, them peace and joy in you. Um, again, an instruction if they need to do something about it, that they would do that, but that this would not be discouraging, but it would be encouraging. We love you. As we finish in worship, I'm going to be in the back right. 